Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Psalm. If you are willing and able, would you please stand as I read all of chapter 61? Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Diane. We're so excited that you have joined us here today, whether you're here or whether you're online with us. I want to start with a question. Brave heart or faint heart? Where do you go when you feel like you are at the end of the earth? Let us pray together. Our Father, we come today as your children needing to hear a word from our Father. There are many who are struggling with the issues of life. There are whispers in our souls and shouts from the world around us that distract our focus from you. Speak to us today by your Spirit. May we have ears to hear. May we all see and encounter Jesus today. For in his name we pray, amen. The truth is that many people today feel at the end of the earth, just like the psalmist. That's what he said in Psalm 61. For us, we have been tied down for six plus months due to COVID. We were not expecting it. No one is immune. Some close to us have struggled very deeply. Some experiencing death in their own families. Some have lost jobs. Some are financially on the brink. Some have not enjoyed their long-standing dreams of a graduation ceremony or a party, or they've lost a sports season or a vacation. Some today feel at the end of the earth. Our news reminds us of the social and racial pressures that are taking place in parts of our country. Our hearts go out to those who have experienced injustice. Our concern is very real for many police and first responders who seek to make our neighborhoods and cities safe and secure. And then politics certainly don't help us feel comfortable these days. Some feel at the end of the earth. Well, on top of all of these things, so many have had even more to deal with. 
There have been storms and wildfires that have caused loss of property and life, and some of those have even touched our church family. Others have received devastating news regarding their health, or relational issues have flared up. Feelings of fear and desperation are prevalent. Sometimes the struggles are just so daily. Sometimes we could just say that it is tiresome doing this journey that we do here in this life. We feel at the end of the earth. I come to you this morning to tell you that you are not alone in your feelings. For God's people have often felt this way. We take a small break today from Tyler's sermon series on encounters with Jesus. Tyler was scheduled to preach today, but we found out on Friday that he had been exposed to someone COVID positive the day before. He's tested negative, for which we're thankful, but our protocols will have him out of the office for a period of time. So pray for him and others, um, even in our own congregation, who are struggling with this. But we go to David, who had been encountered by God and had many different encounters with God himself. And we see his life. Today's message from King David in Psalms is part of David's story. And may it also be part of ours. The great King David describes his being at the end of the earth and faint of heart. Then he tells us where he went and where we are to go in our faint heartedness. He tells us upon what we are to focus. Psalm 61 is written by David, the man after God's own heart. And we know from this passage, passage that it's while he was king. We know that David feels far from home as we see him calling to God from what he considers to be the end of the earth. To David and to any Hebrew, Jerusalem was the center of the universe. The place where the Ark of the Covenant was found, where God dwelt. David was banished from there. Most scholars believe that this psalm was written when King David had to flee his home into the wilderness because of the rebellion of his son Absalom, who was seeking to take his life. The experience and feelings of being driven out of Jerusalem are overwhelming. Now, we have trouble relating to being driven out of our homes and cities, but we have brothers and sisters around the world who experience this simply for naming the name of Christ. I regularly receive a publication entitled The Voice of the Martyrs, and this tells of followers of Jesus around the world who are displaced from their homes, who are persecuted, sometimes even killed. One country south of us has a city called San Juan Chamula, in which 30,000 believers have been expelled over the past 30 years. They have not been allowed to return to their homes. So they have started new towns. One of them 
even named Jerusalem. Well, our circumstances are different, but some here today feel at the end of the earth and faint of heart. David does what the child of God must do. He prays. He cries out to God. Verse 1, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. His cry is a shout. It is not a whimper. David is not quietly expressing his need and his sorrow. The man after God's own heart is craving an audience with his living God. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. I don't know how any person can live in today's world and deal with today's pressures and stresses and not at times feel at the end of the earth. I certainly have felt that way. Yes, a pastor can feel as rotten as anybody. And if I were to tell you that I had not felt at the end of the earth and faint of heart, I would lie to you about other things also. Well, let me talk to the men for just a minute because I understand men better than I do women. Don't you think it's interesting, men, that David recognizes his state and he starts with crying out to God. Not us. We know we are in trouble and what do we do? We start trying to fix it. We exhaust every resource we can. And then when we realize that it is beyond us, as a last resort, we turn to God. I've certainly felt faint of heart at the end of the earth. But boy, do I have a hard time admitting it to myself or to Rita, to others or to God. In fact, for the longest time, I could never admit it for I was raised in a situation where Christians did not admit that they struggled. The idea was to put on a happy face and be always on top of life. Well, David was a real man. He was a warrior, the giant killer. He killed a lion and a bear single-handedly while tending his sheep. And look how this man is brutally honest with God about his struggles. The first thing he does in this psalm is he cries out to God. David has set the example of what we are to do when we feel faint of heart and far from God, fearful of moving forward, too weary to do so. We are to cry out to God and to focus upon who God is. If there is one thing we must learn as individual children of God and as a family of God here at Orangewood, it is to pray, to get on our knees and stay there until we're ready to go forward. And then when we do move forward, we stay on our knees in prayer to him. Why do I say that? Because prayer, by its very essence and nature, shows dependence upon the Lord. Being at the end of the earth, in the wilderness like David, signifies a coming to the end of self 
and an utter dependence upon the Lord himself. As long as we are self-dependent, having confidence in ourselves to work things out, we will never get to where we need to be, and that is dependent upon Christ. Dependence is trust. Brendan Manning, an amazing author who struggled deeply in life, has challenged me. He tells of the most brilliant student he ever taught in seminary. This student lived as a recluse in a small cabin in the Smoky Mountains. And Manning visited him and he asked him, Gus, could you define the Christian life in a single sentence? And Manning tells how he did not even blink before responding, I can define it in a single word, trust. Manning later says, the faith that animates the Christian community is a practical trust in his loving care under whatever pressure. He says the basic premise of biblical trust is the conviction that God wants us to grow, to unfold, and to experience fullness of life. However, this kind of trust is acquired only gradually and most often through a series of crises and trials. A friend once told me that it's through the tough times that God works in our lives. And we know that, and we probably don't like that, but I know that that has been true for me through the birth of premature twins and through Rita's cancer 22 years ago. I know it from my own heart surgery 21 years ago, and I know it from life events. Prayer demonstrates that we are dependent upon Christ. Prayer shows trust. Do you pray or do you try to figure things out all by yourself? Manning tells a story in his book and I cannot shake what he said and it has ministered to me countless times as I have tried to figure out the events of life. He writes this, when the brilliant ethicist John Cavanaugh went to work for three months at the House of the Dying in Calcutta, he was seeking a clear answer as to best, how best to spend the rest of his life. On the first morning there, he met Mother Teresa. She asked, what can I do for you? Cavanaugh asked her to pray for him. What do you want me to pray for? She asked. He voiced the request, pray that I have clarity. Sounds like a good prayer to us, doesn't it? She said firmly, no, I will not do that. When he asked her why, she said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. When Kavanaugh commented that she always seemed to have the clarity he longed for, she laughed and said, I have never had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. And this hits me upside the head. Manning then says, craving clarity, we attempt to eliminate the risk of trusting God. Fear of the unknown path stretching ahead of us destroys childlike trust in the Father's active goodness and unrestricted love. He goes on to say, 
we often presume that trust will dispel the confusion, illuminate the darkness, vanquish the uncertainty, and redeem the times. Our trust does not bring final clarity on this earth. It does not still the chaos or dull the pain or provide a crutch. When all else is unclear, the heart of trust says, as Jesus did on the cross, into your hands I commit my spirit. I trust. What about you and prayer? Do you begin there or do you go there as a last resort? Make David your example here. Years ago, God provided for me another warrior example of one honest about his state and dependent upon the Lord. It was Saul Cruz. Many of you knew him from Mexico City, now home with the Lord. He wrote an email at a very difficult time in their ministry to the very poor. These are the words he penned. Last week, in a very unplanned way, we had to go shopping to a gang and prostitution-ridden area in downtown Mexico City. And after a while, as we were sipping from a bottle of water, we kept trying to hide our emotions as we felt so much moved with compassion and at the same time nauseated in a suffocating environment of pain and misery. It feels like an open wound, like an unfinished journey. I feel paralyzed. Pilar wants to visit the children and get them to the community center and to our home. I know what that means. We have been there before. Pain. Not addressing the issue makes me feel old, coward, weak. The mirror on the wall shows me a tired man with more and more gray hair. The mirror in my soul wants to be alone at the end of the earth, it sounds. I am trying to pray, read my Bible, sleep more, and exercise hard again to bring back the Lord's warrior, which is sleeping and hiding in me with fears of being hurt again. Pilar is suddenly crying silently again. We suddenly feel too comfortable. Please join our prayers to the Lord so that his Holy Spirit fills us with power and wisdom to take once again the painful steps of looking for the poorest and to risk to be hurt again very deep inside. Wow. Brutal self-disclosure and honesty. David says it vividly. Saul says it powerfully. Good examples for us in crying out to God. Well, David tells God of his situation and how he feels in verse 2. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. And then David goes on in verse 2 to tell who and what God has been to him. And he does this by using various images in speaking to God. David is telling us what he focused on instead of the overwhelming circumstances. Listen to the images. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David calls God his rock in verse 2. The idea of God being a rock is very prominent in the Psalms of David. For David had used the rocks of the Judean wilderness as a refuge 
and as a protection for years when he was forced to flee from King Saul and now from his very own son, Absalom. David knew that the rocks were safe and David calls to God whom he describes as the rock that is higher than I. David knew that God was greater than himself. Whether David was ruling as king or running for his life, God was the rock. How easy it is for us to acknowledge our need for the rock when we're in the midst of our struggles and how easy it is for us to forget the rock when all is well. The lesson is we need God and are utterly dependent upon him. Now, so important, in regard to this image of the rock, David says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. David asked to be led to the rock, led to God. Spurgeon, in dealing with this psalm, says that not only do we need a rock, but that we also need the Holy Spirit to lead us to the rock. Our rock is Christ, but no one can come to Christ alone. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to quicken our dead souls, to awaken us to our spiritual need of a Savior, to renew our hearts and our minds, and to bring us to the point of personal commitment to Christ. We must be led to the rock. Christ is our rock, our solid foundation from beginning to end. Our salvation is of God and is completely by his grace. And as we cling to the rock, we are secure, not because of our grip, but because of the rock itself, the object of our faith, as Tyler recently said. Well, what else does David say that God is? He paints some other images that show us what God is to his people who trust in him. Each description of God that David gives becomes more warm and more intimate to the one who has felt so faint-hearted and far away. God is David's refuge, verse 3. For you have been my refuge. Many times David had experienced God's incredible protection. And he often linked God's being his refuge with God's being his rock. In Psalm 18, my rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 62, my mighty rock, my refuge. But David goes on in verse 3 to call God a strong tower against the enemy. In contrast to the wilderness refuge of the rock, David says that God is like this strong tower. The tower in that day being part of the walled city in which one found safety against the enemy who was attacking the city. And David had experienced God's protection as he had been staying at times within the city, um, perhaps in the tower itself, and he found security there. The next image is used as David says in verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. There is more to this image of the tent, for the same word is translated as tabernacle. The tabernacle is where the ark of God was. 
David is asking to dwell where God himself dwells, which he also expresses in Psalm 27, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. David has used the images that move us from the wilderness and the high rock to the city Jerusalem and the strong tower to the tabernacle, which gives the progressive imagery of being closer and closer to God himself. And now we see the final and the most intimate image in verse four. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. This is generally interpreted to mean the wings of the cherubim on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant within the tabernacle itself. The image is that of dwelling under the shadow and the shelter of God's wings close to the very breast of God, a powerful and intimate image. God was the protector and the comforter of David. David cries out to God and desires intimacy with him. Do you desire that intimacy in your very own life? The late Dr. James Boyce says this, never fear to be intimate with God. You have to learn what intimacy with God means, but if and as you do, you will find that God will be far more intimate with you than you have ever imagined he could be. The images of God are powerful and beautiful as we see God's care and love for us. As our rock, our refuge, our tower of strength, as we see ourselves dwelling in his tabernacle under his wings, don't mistake to whom it is that you must go and upon whom you must focus. God is our rock and our refuge and our tower of strength. And David continues in verses six and seven, as we see a real key to this Psalm, as David prays for the king, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God, appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Now the key here in this Psalm is that ultimately it is fulfilled in the Messiah. Prolong the life of the king. May he be enthroned before God forever. Many scholars believe that David is here praying for the Messiah, Jesus, who will be enthroned forever. And if God promises a forever kingdom, it must be a kingdom that's established and maintained by the everlasting king, King Jesus. In application, let me say a word to two groups this morning. First, when we do not yet know God in Christ, we feel far away from God because we are far away from God. For our sins have separated us from the holy God. That's why Christ died on the cross, to make atonement 
for our sin. There was a time that Christ felt not simply at the end of the earth. He himself felt utterly separated from his father. My God, why have you forsaken me, he said. And that separation was for the purpose of our not having to be separated from the father. The blood of Christ was not spilt in vain. It was spilt so that you and I could be brought close to God himself. And that is the truth and the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Christ. Friend, if you feel far away from God, because you are, and your heart is stirring, grab hold of the truth. Be led to the rock that is higher than you. And once you are drawn to the rock, you will find it to be a refuge and a strength. But maybe you are here this morning and you are asking, what about when I know Christ as Lord and I feel far away? My advice to you is preach the same gospel to yourself. Focus on the right things. We so often focus on the problems rather than on the solutions and the resources that we have in Christ. Years ago, when Rita was diagnosed with cancer, we were struggling. The very night of her diagnosis, our oldest son, Joseph, who was 17 at the time, came out of his room and he handed his mom a poem that he had written. I keep it in my office because I need to heed the message regularly. Now, I'm always scared when I read poetry because of an experience I had in freshman literature class in college. Um, the teacher, um, he said, uh, Mr. Creech, would you read this poem, please? And I said, um, Dr. Gordon, I'm really not very good at um, reading poetry. And he said, Mr. Creech, read the poem. I read the poem and he said, Mr. Creech, next time I will take your advice. <laughs> well, this is what Joseph wrote to his mom and it is good advice for all of us. When you're feeling down, nothing's going right, keep your feet on the ground and keep God in sight. When you're feeling depressed, losing strength and might, think your life's in a mess, just keep God in sight. Then things will start to look up. You begin to take flight. You have inner peace because you kept God in sight. Then one day when you reach the gate, you will have no more fright because you kept your priorities straight and kept God in sight. Focus on the one who is truth. Listen to the beauty of Ephesians 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Look at the blood. Let it wash over you. Even as we come this morning to the Lord's table, let it wash over you. Remind yourself that you have been brought near by that blood. And then, child of God, no matter how faint-hearted and far away you feel, tell yourself the truth that Christ is the rock that is higher than we are. He is our refuge in time of need. He is our tower of strength. The truth 
is that we will dwell in his tent forever and we will rest in the shelter of his wings. Faint-hearted at times, yes, no doubt. And yet, as we know and experience Christ as rock, refuge, tower of strength, as we dwell in his presence under the shelter of his outstretched wings, the faint heart will turn to brave heart in Christ. And the brave heart will turn to a heart of praise. Once we have understood the truth, we will respond as David did in verse 8. So will I ever sing praises to your name. So will I ever sing praises to your name. The faint heart will turn to brave heart in Christ because Jesus comes and Jesus changes everything. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we have heard your word today and we confess how often we have focused on all that is swirling around us and we have tried to figure out life all by ourselves. We've tried our own solutions. Lord, grant us grace to focus upon Christ, the rock and refuge of our lives, even now as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Father, we boldly ask that you would grant us the grace to truly trust in you and not our own selves. May we know that in Christ Jesus, we who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We ask that you would awaken the warrior within us, fill our hearts, that we will sing praise to your name forever. Father, we truly live in a world that seems to have gone crazy. Would you bring healing in our health and in our hearts? We pray for so many with COVID. And even as you instruct us to pray for those in authority over us, we pray for healing for the president and for others near and far. We pray for the upcoming election and ask that Christ would be honored and that your will be done. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. For the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen.